Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan, presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions. Each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. Before we enjoy today's podcast, I just want to pause and say thank you to Genentech for sponsoring the Facts Roundtable podcast. As advocates and people who love someone with food allergies, we are committed to raising awareness. But how do we go about this while avoiding saviorism as we work to coach and teach traditionally underrepresented communities? We're sitting down today with Elisa Word, FACS Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, to learn how to support our entire food allergy community together. Welcome back, Elisa, to FACS Roundtable podcast. Today is going to be yet another important and powerful conversation with you. Thanks, Caroline. It's always great to come back and talk about some of the things that we need to talk about to be more inclusive when it comes to everyone in the world today. Thank you so much for being here. These are really important conversations. So let's just jump right into understanding why the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion are so critical right now for the well-being of all communities. The thing is, diversity itself is just us, right? It's just the world. It's just who we are, everybody existing in one place. Equity and inclusion are the pieces that are often missing. And if you watch any newscast today, you will see that there are so many disparities in healthcare, so many disparities in our justice system, in our communities. The school to prison pipeline is still an issue. And how can you effectively serve everyone if you're not looking at these things and saying, I've got to do something different to support the needs of people who I may not even understand, but they have the same needs as everyone else. We have to learn something different in order to get different results. Well, thank you for laying that path down and that information down. So now we're going to go a little deeper and let's talk about saviorism and why it can be detrimental to a community because we know as advocates and people in the food allergy community that we try to raise our voices up. We really try to raise awareness and we really try to get out there and help the entire community. But a community has communities within a community. And so this gets a little confusing. So if you can just really help go deep on this and bring this to light and give us some guidance here. So saviorism is what I like to call a cousin to white knight syndrome or a savior complex in in the latter two. This is when people will typically feel good about themselves only when they're helping others as if their sole purpose in life is to be the one specific person to help them to the point even of sacrificing themselves. So it's further complicated when we start to think of this cousin of sorts, which is saviorism, aka white saviorism. 
racism, where people are viewed as saving or rescuing people of color or marginalized communities because they know best or they have the skills that the Black, Indigenous, and people of color don't necessarily have. And somehow without them, these groups won't be saved. So in this space, it actually denies the existence of people's ability to be able to speak for themselves or even to utilize the skills that they have acquired over the years to make change for themselves and in their communities, especially when they're in equitable environments with the emphasis on equitable because all environments are not that, right? And then so, you know, all of these are ways for people to feel good about their self instead of getting to the root of the problem. And it's kind of comparable to when you think about the old analogy of, you know, I have to keep saving people that are falling in the river. Every time I turn around, they're falling in the river instead of saying, let me go upstream and see why the people are falling in the river, right? And so what that means is we have to think about the systemic issues in the justice system, in the school systems, the economic systems, the communities and judicial system, and work there instead of trying the be all, end all for everyone. And keep in mind, this is actually not even a new mindset. It's actually traced back hundreds of years, and it can be detrimental to communities with regards to their economics in their communities, their their mental health in communities, spirituality in communities, and even physically inhibiting the growth of those same communities. So you mentioned going upstream and looking to see really what's causing this, right? Where is this coming from? So if we were just to look at the food allergy community and we wanted to raise awareness, say, in a community where there's a lot of immigrants or people who maybe don't speak a lot of English, how would someone attack that? Well, we have to be able to become entrenched in those communities. We have to begin to understand the cultural dynamics in those communities. We have to be able to have conversations with those communities and establish trust in those communities to see what's happening, how they're managing what's actually happening, and also how they're even managing communication about these health issues and historically how they've dealt with things when someone has had a chronic health issue. Without doing that, you alienate these communities when you try to go in there because many of them have actually had poor experiences with outsiders in in certain communities. And because of that, that trust wall and that barrier is actually there. So build the relationship first, and then you'll be able to start seeing what's happening upstream. Excellent advice. Thank you so much. So now in terms of being helpful and supportive, how does allyship interplay with saviorism? Allyship basically says, speak with me, speak alongside me, use the power that you have if you have privilege, whether it's earned or unearned privilege, to change the things that hinder people in communities that are marginalized, to be able to help them flourish the way that they should, right? It says, change the school to prison pipeline. It says, I am not the person who's going to do everything. What I am going to do is be the person who's going to be next to you to see if there are some barriers that maybe if I have the power to do something about them, maybe I'm going to move that barrier out the way, but you can still go and do what it is that needs to be done, right? So when you're thinking about allyship, it really is about being there parallel, side by side, as opposed to being above. That is powerful. And I love the example of just moving the barrier. Because you're right, if you're side by side, someone's going to push that aside so someone else can get moving through. Great analogy. 
but not going too far off topic, but in fact's recently released Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Center, there is an activity called A Lesson in Allyship, a family or workspace activity. What is this activity and how can it be helpful for families or the workplace? This particular activity really is just to get people to start thinking. In this fast-moving world that we're in, we're typically on autopilot and we go through the motions without thinking about how our actions can impact other people and even how they can impact ourselves. So it's also easy to forget that our inaction can have a negative impact on people um, as well. So simply being there for somebody and, and speaking with them, listening to them, being part of the team that they're on is something that is going to make a difference. So by creating this particular activity, the whole goal with this is to start to have families, caregivers, parents, children to start creating a legacy of allyship and to start doing this early. And so this, if you want to see the change in the world, we have to be part of the change. Sometimes people don't know how to do that. So this is just kind of a head start to kind of get people thinking. Well, and I like how you said to be the change. It really does take a while. And as you were talking, I was even thinking generationally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so this approach of dressing this as a family to me seems like it would be just incredibly powerful because you would hit all generations within a family. Absolutely. And that's what it's really all about. We have such a legacy in this country of so much division and exclusion and otherism of people. And to change that, we all have to be intentional and it starts in our own personal circles. So true, right? It starts right here. Any kind of change is always going to start right at the beginning with ourselves. So now let's go back to discussing saviorism and how an individual or group such as a support group, food allergy support group that is, might be able to support and help the traditionally underrepresented communities without taking on the saviorism. You gave us a little bit of insight just a few minutes ago on that, but can we go even deeper on that? With support groups, one of the things that they have to be very mindful of is to not come in to these situations as if they are the authority on everything. Even if they've been experienced, even if they're the old school advocates like you and I, who've been around for a very long time, we there are a lot of things that we know, but there are a lot of things that change. And there are a lot of cultural dynamics with families that we don't necessarily know anything about. But we, they also have to think about people as people and look at the whole person, right? So for instance, with myself, People have known me for many years. I'm a food allergy advocate. I'm a food allergy mom. Same thing with you. But there's so much more to me than that, right? So if an organization, for instance, didn't realize that Elisa Word has studied and has their professional credentials in emotional intelligence and diversity, equity, and inclusion, they're looking at me like I'm a mom and I need to be helped in my situation, as opposed to saying that this is a mom who happens to have this, that manages situation that runs parallel to her skill set. So in that vein, from a support group leader standpoint, when you have people coming into your support groups, get to know the whole person. You don't know what else they have to offer your particular group, other than the fact that they're a parent who might need some support or need some help, but they might really might have some skills that can actually make your support group far more effective than it's ever been. 
And also on that line, I have a question. It might sound really silly, but about clothing and presentation and cultural differences. I know some societies being dressed up shows respect, but then in other groups and other communities being really dressed up, and I'm talking like, you know, a dress or a suit or a tie or something like that makes people incredibly uncomfortable. Do you have any tips and thoughts on that when you're just physically engaging with a new group, how to find the best way to dress appropriately? Simply asking questions, but it also goes back to getting to know people, getting to know the culture having conversations. Sometimes you don't have to be the food allergy leader at that moment. Maybe you're a person who's just interested in their customs and going to maybe some community centers and seeing how people interact, how they connect with one another. There's a Mandir here in Atlanta. That's where people go that are part of the Hindu religion. And when they go there, it's also a tourist attraction. But I can't go in there with shorts with my shirt that doesn't have sleeves. So when I step into the place, they have covers that I would have to wear if I wasn't dressed appropriately to go into the Mandir because of the respect that is needed in order to go in there. So I've become accustomed to knowing when I want to take someone to visit, I know how to dress because I know what their customs actually are. But I took the time to learn that because it's up to me to learn to be respectful of people because then if I'm not, there's a barrier there. They can't hear you because you've now disrespected them and their culture. And the same is true in these situations when it comes to going into new communities. Get to know the people, get to know the culture. That is so critical. What I'm hearing is do your homework. Before you go, really do your homework and really do some work. So staying on the same topic here, many food allergy advocates and even support groups like we just talked about have the goal of educating people about food allergies. Like for me, even personally and my family, our goal is always to educate anywhere, anytime, anyhow that we can. But in terms of bringing actual food allergy education into a community to new advocates, do you have specific tips? Yeah, definitely. Uh, When it comes to that, It's, again, important to start thinking about trust, getting to know people, getting to know how they operate. And also when you do that, we have to be mindful about coming in with a a mindset of judgment. Because a certain community does things a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong. It could mean that they're different. There could be a better way. But if you come in and try to take away something from them that they've done forever, that could actually cause them to not want to even be connected with you. So instead of taking away from what they do, find ways to add to what they do. But then also, oftentimes people will go into communities and they'll give all these ideas about making changes and you don't even know if those people wanted those changes. It reminds me of a, of, of a situation where someone was talking about people went into this community and they had to go all the way down to the river to get water. And these people came in and thought, well, this is ridiculous. They have to go all the way down to the river to get water. Let's build them a well. So they did all this work and they built this well thinking this was going to be so great. So they left. They come back two years later. The well is is not being used or stuff on top of the well. They thought, well, what's wrong with that? And they said, well, this is the only way that our people were getting exercise was to go down to the river. You came in and you changed what we did. So it wasn't something that they wanted to do. But what value could they have added 
to them going down there to the river? Could they have helped them have bigger buckets to go to the river? You know, could they have had those conversations? So you have to think about things from that perspective when you're going into different communities. That is sage advice. Know your audience. Absolutely. Know what they need. And like you said earlier, get to know the whole person. Yep. And really learn. So do you have any do's or don'ts that you would suggest for advocates looking to coach or teach these different types of communities? Absolutely. I definitely have some do's and don'ts. So don't assume that their ways are wrong. Learn to understand their ways. Do learn what you can from them. It might actually even benefit you in the long run. Don't be dismissive or come in like the know-it-all, even if you do know a lot about food allergies or medication management. Do create partnerships, right? This is not an authoritarian sort of situation. It's not a dictatorship. Create partnerships. And then don't be dismayed if you don't feel that warm fuzzies at first. A lot of communities have had some real issues with trust with people who've come into their communities over the, over the years. And do give it time. You may be the stranger. You know, who buddies up to a stranger right away? Usually no one, right? Kind of use some logical kind of thinking in this situation. It's about relationship building when you go into different communities and learning is going to be the best thing that you could do. Learning and listening. That's what I've learned from you over this last year with all our podcasts. Listen, pay attention, and really look at somebody as, like you said earlier, the whole person. Well, we're actually coming to the end of our time together. So before we wrap up, do you have anything you would like to share with listeners? You know, all of the podcasts, the interviews, the conversations we've had have been all obviously around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I want to stress to people that DEI is not about placing blame on everyday people about what others did to communities of color in the past. It's instead saying that we can all move forward together. When you think about things like saviorism or white saviorism and all those things like that, we have to remember not all ancestors to our white allies were slave owners. There were many who were abolitionists. I come from Delaware where the Quakers did a lot to help a lot of people. And for those who do have roots that are tied to some ugliness of the past, it doesn't mean it has to define you and your legacy going forward. You're here today. And you get to choose what you will and won't be known for. So if you choose love, if you choose peace, if you choose compassion, equity, and inclusion, the world's already diverse. You can choose to do something with this on your terms today and help to move forward alongside other people. Once again, amazing sage words and beautiful advice for all of us to use. I personally have been practicing certain things that you've been teaching us on the podcast and the results are just stunning and I could just listen to you all day long. So thank you so much for what you bring to our communities, what you bring to fact and what you bring to this podcast. Thank you so much again, Elisa, for your time. Thanks. So glad to be with you and hope to be with you again soon. Oh, you will be. And listeners, I'll make sure in the show notes, I have links to all sorts of resources that Lisa has put together for you. 
Before we sign off today, I just want to take one more moment to say thank you to Genentech for sponsoring Facts Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.